Commanders, and welcome to episode 276 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. That's you guys. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Ben Moss Woodward, otherwise known as Commander Adela Weiss, and joining me in a rather, rather stuffy and hot orange sidewinder this evening, we have we we have Commander Kurgol, who's who's blown the dust off a wee bitty. Hey, good evening. We also have Commander Shan. Hello. And Commander Souverine. What up? Lurking in the background, we have Commander Ventura. Hello. And we are very honoured tonight because we've got two guests from two incredibly different locations, <laughs> um, but one awesome company. We've got Craig, otherwise known as... Uh, are you Commander Draken or just Draken? Uh, just Draken. Just Draken, is it? Okie dokie. Yep. And you're from Game Glass and you're, you're over on the other side of the pond from us, obviously. That's right. Yeah, I'm in Canada. Hey. And we also... <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Have you said hello to Harry yet? Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Is Harry allowed over there yet? No, no. I haven't, I haven't seen him today. Nah. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> And we are super mega lucky in that we're also being joined by Andy. Shall I say your last name, Andy? Or I just have no, you down as Andy. Okay, we'll just it's keep Andy. it as Andy. Uh, I'm a are you? Man. Do you also have? Uh, do you have a commander name, or should we just call you Andy? I'm just going <laughs> to call you Andy then. Yeah, just call um, him Andy. That's fine. Yeah, and Andy is currently sitting. On a beach in Australia, on vacation, and he's snuck out of his tent by the sound of things to basically grab a coffee and sit on the beach so he can talk to us. It might mean we're going to lose him. It might mean his voice quality is going to vanish. But thank you so much for taking time out of your personal life to come along and say hi, Andy. Not a problem at all. Super happy to be here. I, I live in Australia. I haven't come all this way. It's a, it's a quick dash down to the beach for a couple of days camping, but really happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Right. Well, we're going to quickly dive in to see what everybody's been up to this past week. So I'll start off with you, Souverine, if that's okay. Uh, sure. Uh, I have very little to report. What have I been doing? Um, <clears throat> uh, lots of work. Um, we got... Three new stockists for Parallel Worlds today, which is exciting. Um, and uh, other than that, um, just um, the usual. Um, been been flying around a little bit every now and then, um, but um, but just when I can when I can squeeze uh, a few hours in. <clears throat> All right, and Shan, how's your life been treating you? Hasn't been too bad this week, actually. I've started off on the second set of boot camps yesterday so that's six weeks worth of one hour heavy duty workouts for me so i had a good session yesterday 
Um, so, yeah, I, I quite enjoy them, actually. It sounds a bit weird, but I spend most of my day sitting at a desk. So when you actually get a chance to go outside and do stuff physically, um, it gives a nice change and sort of recharge you for the next day. Yeah, I can totally not get that. Right, Kurgol, we've not seen you for chuffing ages. I know. What the devil you been up to? It's been crazy. Uh, I've been doing lots of work because I've got less than a month left at Neon Tribe where I work at the moment, and then I'm off to Pastures New, and it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> so I've been working mentally, trying to get all of the stuff at work ready to hand over and out of my own hands, and now I'm getting quite excited about a new job. Um, and other than that, I've been playing a bit of video games, trying to get my elite combat rating up in county sites, doing a bit of driving, <laughs> sim driving with some friends. You'll have to try and join uh, Phoenix Devire and I uh, murdering a couple of Thargoids at some point. Yeah, I'd love to. That sounds great. Oh, and one of my colleagues at work, Rob, who hasn't been flying an elite for ages, has been dipping his toe back in, so hopefully I'm going to do some with him later. That'll be fun. Okay, okay. that's cool. I've had I've had a fairly mental week, actually, since last Tuesday. Um, right, I've been... Playing with with the Psycho Cow, doing doing a spot of quiz shows and uh, some GTA things with Cal and Co. Um, but I've also been so on last Thursday, Parson Truckers went off and started Operation Hot Mess, which is basically the truckers are delivering a mug to every single station with a commodity market around the galaxy. And I did say galaxy. So something like, was it something like 57,000 stations or something? It's something ridiculous. Some crazy, stupid number. Um, so 55,200, sorry, 55,326 stations have to be delivered to. Um, so they're being mad as ever. But there is an awesome benefit to Operation Hot Mess in that if you ever go off and have a look at EDDB, you might sometimes see that there are the occasional station which hasn't been visited in nine, well, in about three years. So all these stations which have been quietly ticked along, but nobody, or at least no, nobody with EDB, EDDB has been logging on and updating their details with, um, they'll, they'll all be getting a nice push from the truckers. So that's awesome. I am very proud and pleased to say that Lave is currently mods free. I repeat, Lave is free of mods, so I think that's something we can all be proud of. Is that moderators? Uh, I blame TJ. Um, so that's most of the gaming stuff I've been doing. On, I had an absolutely ridiculous, um, ridiculous ninety, um, ridiculous Saturday when I did a spot of real life and went with my flatmate to see 1917 and Bad Boys and finished up that at about half past 11 and went straight into an interview with Kai and Ty from the Loose Screws podcast. And I wound up shooting the shit with those guys till about quarter past three in the morning, I think it was. Uh, but I had an absolute blast talking to those guys. And that podcast with Loose Screws came out on... Monday, I think it was. Um, so that's two hours of your life you're never going to get back. Uh, that, that, was, that was a lot of fun anyway. Right. <coughs> so let's 
unless anyone's got anything else to add at this stage, Andy, why don't you quickly tell us, or who's best out of you and Craig to start off their history? <laughs> um, why don't you get Andy to start it off? Okay, Andy, who are you? And what's, what's your gaming history? Do you have any back, background with Elite and things like that then? Sure. Uh, so my name's Andrew. I'm the um, one of the co-founders of Game Glass. I, oh God, how did I start playing computer games? Um, way back in primary school, my handwriting was so bad that my mother had to buy us an Amiga 500 with a printer so our teacher could read our homework, my brother and I. And the computer that came along, the, the game that came with the computer was Dungeon Master. Anyone remember Dungeon Master? Totally played it on an Amiga 500. Good game. Yep. So we played that on the Amiga 500 and just and that, that was it. And then it was computer games all the time, every day, all day, every day. And then Elite Dangerous. So I, got, I started playing Elite Dangerous years ago and, um, and just loved it. It was just you know, the, the ability just to jet off in a direction and find star systems that no one else had, had explored in the game was pretty cool. Uh, I haven't actually, I've left the bubble a couple of times, but honestly, I just spend most of my time at the moment tooling around, doing missions for money, doing mining, not doing a lot of combat, but just exploring. Um, and it's amazing. And I've just been getting into really big ships at the moment as well. So got my Anaconda, got my Corvette after doing the the rep grind uh, last year when they had the, the rep bonus. Uh, yeah, and, and really enjoying the big ships. Have you made it out to bigger points and places like that? No, I haven't done any massive trips. I've got an, um, an Explorer Fit Beluga that I've been meaning to take out on a big trip, but I uh, haven't gone anywhere special mm. yet. What, what about Colonia? Okay, so I guess you've not been to Colonia either then? Nope. Colonia is it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, it's not a pretty part of the kit. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to Hustle yep. for your 100 credit Anaconda? <laughs> and i guess same question to you then craig sure name's craig i'm the other co-founder of game glass um as for my gaming history boy that just basically started right when uh, i think it the first game i played was on an old mac we had uh king's quest and a few really other old games um, and then that kind of started my addiction from there. Um, as for Elite itself, I actually started playing Elite right when it launched. Uh, I didn't play for that long, though, maybe maybe six months or eight months or something like that. Um, and then I honestly, I recently got back into it because we were doing some game glass work for it. And I've actually enjoyed my experience with it quite a bit. So uh, I do all the product design, um, so one of my jobs is uh, when we're doing a new game, I need to go in-depth, figure out all the systems, what would be helpful, what wouldn't be helpful, uh, try to talk to the community, see what people want and need, and then try to form some sort of design around that on what would be helpful and what makes a lot of sense, what gameplay friction is there, what can we solve that nobody else is doing. So I have to get really into the games in order to understand them and then actually create things that are useful. So I've actually enjoyed my time with Elite quite a bit. Um, I'm nowhere near as experienced as any of you. I actually just left the bubble for the first time to do some exploring. Um, and then one of, I, I posed probably like 100 light years away. And then one of our developers needed me to test some stuff uh, with their mining shard. So <laughs> I quickly turned around 
and went and got my mining ship and I haven't been back out since. So um, I haven't been far. I haven't done nearly as much, but uh, I have been enjoying my experience with the game so far. Yeah, because so do you want to give us a little bit of Game Glasses history then? Because yeah, it looks like you, you started out with the Star Citizen shards. Yeah, actually, uh, it was about a year and a month ago. Um, I was playing, I just got into Star Citizen again. Like, I, I, I remember back in the day where it was either Elite or Star Citizen. Neither of them had launched yet. Uh, but Star Citizen was in a state of, well, there was nothing to do at all. Um, and that's why I wanted to play Elite, was there was something to actually do. It was a game. Um, anyways, so last year I decided to give it another world because they'd done a whole lot in the last five years with Star Citizen. And I was trying to get into it. I was trying to learn it. And it was a massive undertaking. They they have over 250 keybinds, I think. Um, the, a lot of them are just not even bound by default. So trying to figure out the controls and how to play the game was really daunting and a challenge for me. So I, I have a background as a web developer, graphic designer, um, and I decided to try to figure out if there's a way I could just put an interface on a secondary device to use um, and, and control my ships so I don't have to remember some of the obscure keybinds. And uh, I found this product called MFD, and it was just uh, some indie developer just created this thing where you could do exactly that. You could just connect to your tablet, create an interface with uh, you know vanilla HTML, JavaScript, whatnot, and then uh, Bob's your uncle. You're, you're good to go. You can just throw something together and, and make it work. So... With my design background, I, I did exactly that, and I threw together this really ugly-looking, horribly... Oh, it was terrible. This just terrible interface. And I put it on Reddit, and I said, I'm working on this really cool thing. It has It's functioning right now. Even though it looks terrible, I'm trying to get the, some ideas from the community. And it kind of just blew up. And within about a week, uh, Andy had already contacted me as he was thinking about a platform to create these experiences and I'd already done a bunch of work on it. And then we actually got in touch with the person that made the application that connects the tablet and the PC and he joined our team right away. So we had the formings of, of game glass as it is today within two weeks of me posting on Reddit. And then uh, from the community, we found another front end developer, uh, a back end developer and a few other people and now we have like a fully fledged eight person team working on Game Glass. So it had very simple roots. We started with Star Citizen. We released a bunch of stuff after crowdfunding campaign last January. We I think we raised two thousand over two thousand percent of our <laughs> of our goal. Uh, we launched officially in I believe July, and then. It's just been getting everything finished and coming up with new games and new shards and optimizing ever since. Right, and Elite came out just earlier this month, wasn't it? Or was it yeah. last year? No, just uh, just earlier this month. So, uh, um, a couple of weeks, I want to say. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't, I don't, you probably know better than I do. I know I found out about it just after the show last week, I think it was, that I found out about it. Yeah, it wasn't um, long. I think it was... It was either the twelfth or the fifth. I don't remember. <laughs> Time flies these days. It really does. So, did any of you guys know each other then before you founded Game Glass? No, 
No, we wow. did not. Um, none. We've got people from all over the world. So yeah. I'm in Canada. We've got um, our a software engineer in Vegas. And then we've got another front-end developer in North Carolina. We've got a back-end developer in the Netherlands. We've got two people working out of Australia. Um, so we're just kind of all over the place. Okay, okay. I'm going to ask a silly question, which isn't on the notes. Um, but I know you mentioned that you've got some stuff for CitizenCon stored in the UK. I was kind of picturing yeah. that as sitting in one of your developers' basements, but I'm guessing not now. Uh, no, actually, that uh, we work closely with one of the um, one of the companies that works very closely with Starsis, and they create a bunch of official merchandise for them. Right, um, right. So we became friends with them because everybody in the Star Citizen community is pretty well connected. Um, so if you start doing something uh, in that community, you know, everyone talks to each other, everyone gets along really well. So uh, we started getting along really well with the company that did all of this fabrication for, uh, for Star Citizen things. So at their convention, CitizenCon, they've got like huge uh, dragonfly ships. So like a, like a land speeder kind of. Oh, wow. And it was fabricated, you know. I think to scale, just beautifully done. And, and that's the company we became good friends with. And uh, they just this year started doing community booths at, at CitizenCon. So we talked to them and they fabricated an unbelievable booth for us. Um, so we got to present everything over at CitizenCon this year. So it's actually being stored with them right now. Um, right. So that's why it's conveniently located in the UK. And I believe Andy is going to LaveCon this year. And I believe our booth should be there too. The plan. So Andy is going to be your booth babe this year. <laughs> yes, exactly. Awesome. Right. Um, so you you started Star Citizen. You got Elite. Are you in a position where you can say other games that you're at least thinking about? Um, I'd rather not talk about the games we're thinking about right now. I think. Um, just because it's a very volatile, especially yeah. internally. We talk about games that we want to support all the time. We've talked about games with the community that we want to support. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thing is, is just, you know, you start getting more in depth with those games. You start looking at all the technology behind those games. And sometimes your decision changes. So we don't want to just confirm something and then and then go back on yeah. that. Yeah, so for example, quickly. you don't want to go off and say, yes, we're totally, totally going to support DCS. And then realize, yeah, we really can't do that. Yeah, uh, it, it takes a lot of thought for us to officially announce one and actually start working on it. Um, I mean, Elite Dangerous took us four or five months of, of a lot of a lot of work. None of us uh, well, actually. We have one full time front end developer, and then everyone else does this on the side. So mm -hmm. the amount of crunch we've had to do, uh, typically in the gaming industry, you know, before a release, you have a big crunch. Well, we've had about six releases in the last year, and each one of them had a crazy crunch to it. So we're all, um, we have released Elite, and I think we're just going to take a step back, focus on fixing bugs, optimizing, getting the platform to where we wanted, doing things like customizable keybinds, all this other stuff that's just been on the list, but we haven't, uh, we really wanted to get Elite out first. So we want to come back to that and just get everything tied down really well, and then we'll probably think about um, what the future holds game-wise, I think. Talking about customizable keen binds, I'm going to have to thank you guys so much for your responsiveness for that, because yeah, uh, when I first looked at Game Glass, I'm, I'm running a slightly unique setup in that my 
log file doesn't go to C users Ben or even D users Ben. It goes to a completely weird location, shall we say? And quite uh, quite on the first day, I was trying Game Glass. I was like, "Hey guys, I like this, but I can't see your I can't see how you get your things, and I can't see how to update where my my journal files are coming from." Um, I then might have gone off and it's I'm not it's a Java. So Game Glass at the moment is a Java application, correct? At the or moment, the, yeah, the we're server is a Java application. Yeah, uh, so. I then went off and used my Java experience and basically went off and decompiled Game Glass and had to look through their source code to find out what the heck it was actually doing, where it was looking for, for all your places. You, you got some really lovely, lovely code in there, basically trying to anticipate all the locations that idiots can go off and put their, their uh, journals and I managed to come up with one other place that was just totally random, but of course you can't anticipate that because I'm an awkward salt. Um, but I sp so I figured that out, and I worked a hack around for that. But I've just found out today that in I don't know when the, that release was made, but in the release that's currently available, I can actually specify where my log file can be found, so I can actually <laughs> point my log file at my real log file. Rather than I'm essentially doing a symbolic link to my log file, and I'm being a very naughty boy. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I wonder who inspired that feature. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, though, because that for being so responsive, basically. And you know, I, I know I won't be the only awkward, awkward sod. Um, I think you said there was at least one other person who was equally just as much of a pain as I am. Uh, but thank you so much for being so responsive there. Um, yeah, there's been about two or three people that have had that issue. But, you know, if there's two or three people bringing it to our attention, then there's there's many there's more that are just more. getting frustrated and just not even using the application. So uh, that was always the plan. It was um, it, it's hard, though, because our Elite Dangerous beta crew uh, was a lot smaller than Star Citizen. Everybody knew about us with Star Citizen before we released, so our, we had a large beta, but for Elite Dangerous, we didn't do we didn't do a whole ton of advertising or anything like that. Um, we tried to find some really engaged community members that played Elite, um, and we got some great feedback, but you know, uh, you're not going to get all the technical information you need from just You're not going to get the breadth that you need from hundreds of people playing and using it. Yeah, so once we released it, it really opened the doors to get a lot more of those reports. And that's that's the great thing about how we're set up right now is um, we can make we can push updates very quickly. Um, sometimes people will request something or notice something wrong. And the glory of it being a web-based application is that we can push an update and you don't have to update the app. We don't have to wait for an app store review because it's just a, a web view. So... Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have to worry about that. So we can just push an update, and you know, sometimes two hours after somebody reports something, uh, it's fixed for everybody. Oh, so actually, we, so we, a, so, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, there's a lovely story there, actually, from uh, a commander I know, Commander Sarge788, who's in one of the, the squadrons that were friendly with the Paladin Consortium. Uh, he was basically talking to talking on your server about problems with the mining prices not being updated. And he was chatting away with uh, one of your de your devs. I'm going to murder this guy's name. Sjord, 
<laughs> yeah, that's actually yeah. pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so Shord, otherwise known as Doc, was working with with uh, Sarge, and basically in under half an hour, Shord had figured out what the issue was, and less than two hours later, basically that that issue was fixed and pushed out for everybody, which is awesome. And now apparently your mining prices should be. Up to date, um, although uh, might take about twenty four hours for that cash to clear out. From what I understood, yeah, I think it's going to be a few days. We're still just optimizing how we're pulling data from the EDDN. Yeah. So um, obviously, you know, it's still a work in progress. We're doing the best we can, but it will be as just as accurate as EDDB or Anara or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it's oh, you, you can obviously only get things as quickly as other people can give them to you. And then, of course, you yeah. don't. What you don't want to do is obviously flood all the other servers and services and things like that, because then they just won't talk to you. <laughs> yeah, we've actually uh, been pretty active in the, the the EDDN has an actual Discord channel where all the developers get together, and everyone's been so incredibly helpful, and and it's just been great working with everybody. Honestly, the community is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the there's a very active elite develop elite, elite dangerous developer community. Uh, which has got they've got a brilliant Discord channel as you've probably joined. Yeah. Um. And they, yeah, they're just really nice guys. So let's. So you you're not really understandably not really wanting to talk about other other games and things like that. What about? Look, I can. The only, yeah, thing, the, the only thing I might mention with other games is that that Game Glass was always intended to be, as you all know, it's a platform. For lots of games, it's never it's never just about sauces and not even just about Elite Dangerous. So you can probably imagine the kinds of games that would be a good fit for it. So yeah. you could imagine, you know, you could imagine No Man's Sky, you could imagine DCS, you could imagine Microsoft's new Flight Simulator, you could imagine No Man's Sky. So those <laughs> kinds of games, Euro Truck Simulator, those are the kinds of games we would look to support. As Craig yeah. said, nothing specific, but it's it's those kinds of games. There'd be tons of those kinds of experiences, and certainly yeah. not just. The control ones as well as some really cool stuff we're thinking about doing that's um, probably a little bit more dramatically changes how you play these games as well. Yeah, so there's some interesting points there. So, I mean, one of the, the main keys of Game Glass is just we're, we're removing gameplay friction. So what can we do to have you, when, you, when you're immersed in a game and you have to alt-tab out of that game to look something up, what can we do to prevent that from happening while still making it feel like you're the commander in a cockpit? Um, obviously this depends on which game you're, we're talking about, but, uh, when you get into the, the complex simulator games like Elite Dangerous or your truck simulator or Star Citizen or, uh, DCS or the new flight, Microsoft flight sim. So that, that's an easy problem that we can fix. It's, I can't remember all my keybinds. I don't know what these joystick switches do. I have like a hundred joystick buttons. I still can't memorize them all put them on a labeled interface and make it obvious. That's that's one way of looking at it. But when we start thinking about other games that maybe aren't as complicated, we get into more things about immersion and what can we do to really connect to the game and maybe pull some data somehow. So uh, a good example, Elite has a fantastic API, uh, a community-based API. It has also has the, the log journal. Um, Two amazing things. I, I, not a lot of games have that kind of stuff. Uh, Euro Truck Simulator has telemetry data that you can pull in, so you can see how fast you're going and the the map, like the your navigation and whatnot. 
Um, but when you get into games that don't have that kind of stuff, like let's say No Man's Sky, then it's starting to think about, okay, well, can we work with that developer to somehow integrate something that would be useful for the game that doesn't exist already? So uh, inventory management would be something that would be really handy to have on Game Glass. Um, so you just take it away from a, a clunky menu, especially if you're on a controller or anything like that. And then you have it open at all times. It's just, we got to think about ways we can solve um, different problems for different games because each game is very different. So as a general question, then, um, have you run into issues with licensing either for the game's title, reuse of assets, or anything like that? Is that a major headache for you? Uh, well, we don't actually use any assets from any of the games we support. Um, that's very intentional. We don't want to step in on, on any toes. Um, as for using names, uh, it's fine if you're using names to denote compatibility. Um, as far as anything beyond that, we've actually had a lengthy chat with Star Citizen. We're, we talked to some of the developers there. They're very aware of us, very, very aware of us. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't have let us at a booth at CitizenCon. Um, we are in more in-depth talks with them about some other stuff I don't, I can't really talk about right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the goal is obviously to get in touch with as many studios as we can, uh, and get as much official support as we can. Uh, we don't want to step on any toes. We just want to, uh, coexist with as many studios as possible and maybe work on some really cool things together to create something amazing for everybody that wants that's a second screen experience. Excellent. So I'm looking at the screen now, and it's a podcast. That's so going to be hard to describe that, other than it looks very elitist in the use of colors and the font and things like that. Because um, I believe Frontier developed their own font for Elite, didn't they? Is that right? Um, but I think there's a close approximation that's free. Uh, so the font they use is called, I believe it's called Eurostyle. It's not. It's not a. It's, we have a license for that font as well, so it's not proprietary or anything. So I'm just trying to cough any 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 moans people might have when they when they see these screens and things and kind of. No, you're a stylist. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm currently in a bit of combat. Do you want to maybe talk about what things I can do using <laughs> Game Glass? I don't think that might help me in. I Game Glass can solve that problem. If Ben is in combat, I can see one thing missing on the screen that would help Ben out tremendously. But I get good button. Huge, no, there's a huge button that says self-destruct. <laughs> rebuy button would help, I reckon. Um, so you're actually, what I see at least on the Twitch stream is just the flight system shard right now. So okay, if you're in right. combat, you'd want to be in the combat shard. Yeah, I've, I've changed over to the combat shard. Um... Hopefully, so by, by the time Twitch will catch up, you'll see they'll hear so that. By, yep. So by shard, um, I'm trying to sort of get my get the. Uh, I'm the guessing tab. by shard you mean tab, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah shard so, is just so, basically a screen that that game glass shows. We just call them shards because you know glass and shards, and the mobile version is called a fragment because you know fragments and glass and shards screen all go together. <laughs> Excuse me. Glass is also screen, so you could call them screens. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, they're shards. True. We can live with that. Yeah, so they're they're just shards. So they're just basically ways to um, categorize what we're showing 
on one display at once. Right. So what things are available in the combat shards then? Yeah. So on the combat shard, you've got a uh, your, your targeting information. So if you target a ship in game, uh, you will be able to see uh, the ship names, the ranks, the factions, if they've got a bounty on them, how much the bounty's worth. You can change your fire groups, um, your heat sink, shield cell, chaff. You can charge ECM, deploy your hard points. You've got a targeting array that allows you to cycle through your targets. Um, it's got status indicators. So if you're in danger or overheating or your shields are recharging, it shows them there. And it gives you a nice big pip interface where you can modify your pips with an easy macro to set them to max. Um, depending on, you know, if you want max shields, engines, or weapons. So that's what shows on the combat chart. Honestly, for me, the entire reason I created, I, I co-founded Game Glass is just so I could have a, a screen with uh, the uh, heatsink button on it because I can never remember on my hotel what my heatsink button is. <laughs> I can tell you the number of times I've exploded to silent running or needed in combat. So just a big heatsink button, that's all I yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm actually running away because I'm I'm not in a very combaty ship at the moment. I'm not in a combaty build at the moment. Um, I'm more set up for trucking. Uh, I'm currently actually I'm doing. I've got a I've got a hold full of mugs. Um, <laughs> so I'm so, so the way. Yeah, I was going to say. So generally, the way we so a shard for us is what we tend to do when we're looking at a game is we we break a shard what we think groups, game features and functions and commands in a way that makes sense for each role that you perform in that game. So rather than just jamming every keybind onto a single screen and you've got 150 buttons and it's ridiculous, we try and think, oh, okay, if, if you're in combat, what things do you really need in combat? And maybe there's some stuff that you don't need. You know, when I'm flying around, I just want that, you know, an easy flying around the universe experience. What are the things that make sense for that screen? And I'm exploring. What are the things I really just need for exploring? I probably don't need all the combat things that I'm exploring. I don't need charging ECMs and shield banks when I'm exploring, but what things do I need? I need FSS. I need discovery mode. I need those kinds of things. So each shard is a really kind of well-thought-out, well-crafted sort of distillation of the things you need to do to perform those roles. So one for combat, one for exploration, one for mining. There are maybe a couple of others coming down the road, but each shard is really built around a, a single thing or a group of things you do same so what's customizable by the user in these shards because the screen i'm looking at there are essentially five main areas there's a a box in each corner and then a central box can they be changed around in terms of size and location on the screen uh, or, or is that you know that's been designed to make it as easy as possible for a tablet yeah so that's absolutely in the plans is more user customization it you know it there's a lot of different ways of going about it we want to create a, a nice custom customizable experience but we also want to keep the the premium aesthetic so some things might be able to move around some things you might not be uh, one of the things we're really thinking about is that might be easy to do in the short term would be to change uh, the buttons at the bottom there hide hud orbit lines lights previous track play next track um, so being able to change those to basically whatever you want. So you can change the label and then change what keybind it executes. So those are short-term goals. Longer-term goals would definitely be customizing what you see on these specific screens. You wouldn't be able to, I, I would imagine you wouldn't be able to change what you're going to see on our official shards like these ones. Um, there might be something down the road where we 
have more user customizable shards, but uh, that's all I, I can really say about that at the moment. Okay, so and the colors, because at the moment they are the default elite colors, and I know some users put HTML codes in the uh, in a file and it comes mm-hmm. up with blues or greens or yellows. Is there a plan to make the color changeable, or is that something you, you think, well, actually, you can really ruin the look of it if you let them change it? <laughs> so we actually did ruin it. Um, so... <laughs> One of the features where uh, we, we have, so we have different levels, right? So for free users, you can use the flight and the combat absolutely free. Go try it out. Um, and you can use it on one device. And then if you, you can buy either the mining or exploration shards, those are a lot more involved shards and they are $6.99 each. Or you can subscribe to what we call a glass pass, which is a membership program. And it unlocks all the shards for all the games that we're ever going to do. Um, it's also unlocks other features like customizable themes, priority support, monthly giveaways, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, so we actually have the ability to customize themes now. And one of the things we were looking at for doing the themes was, okay, so we have this matrix file and we're able to detect the location of this matrix file. Uh, and we know what the colors are doing and what they should do. So can we theoretically take whatever the users set as their custom theme and then apply it as a filter onto game glass and match what they have in game automatically. Uh, and we tried a whole bunch of different things to make that work really well. And sometimes it worked great. Sometimes it did not work so great. Um, so sometimes you'd be, you'd be getting themes that, you know, were supposed to be blue and have like a red, uh, system and galaxy map should be red like the one you see in the screenshot now Um, but when we used the filter method it was changing those to yellow so the problem was that our our colors aren't exactly the same as elite dangerous colors and when you're applying a filter to colors they have to match exactly to what the in-game colors are in order for the filter to to look correct Um, so we decided that's probably not the best route to go down and instead, we just um, enabled custom themes so you can go in and you can modify all the different colors on your theme um, and just do it yourself. And then that way you get exactly what you want instead of us assuming what you want and then getting it wrong. So is it, I'm not sure how, obviously how it works because that's all proprietary, but is it possible then to control a PC remotely? So for example, if, if, how, if I had my tablet linked to Ben somehow, could I fly his shit for him from my tablet here? Uh, you need to be on the so- same local area network. Okay, I, I would suggest letting me fly Ben's shit for him remotely. Ben's ship specifically? Yeah, we'll add that to the backlog. Fly <laughs> Ben's ship. Yeah, can I, can I say no to that? Actually, it's a security actually, thing. You know what? Can I actually say yes to that? And I'll say why. Uh, one of the reasons... One of the ways I quite often do play Elite Dangerous is using a shadow box. Have you guys have you guys heard of Shadow? Yeah, yeah we're actually compatible with Shadow. Okay, I'm gonna have to find out how the hell I work with my shadow box then. Cause I want to Yeah, I, I you know I use Shadow and I'll be playing Elite on Shadow. And I I'm deliberately playing it on my local machine today because I didn't know I'd be able to somehow have communication with sh- my shadow box on Game Glass. So we're going to have to find out how we do that. See, I was yep. just thinking of the endless fun one could have 
flying Ben shit remotely without him being aware of it. I, I don't <laughs> like this idea. It's not a good idea, Shan. Anyway, uh, Shan, uh, Shan, you, you, Suverine, you live longer. Suverine, I believe you had something you wanted to say. Um, the um, yeah, I, I was, uh, I'm curious about the um, uh, about the, the the way that game glasses split over different shards and the pricing model um, because um, it's uh, it strikes me that it's the kind of thing that I, I play elite mostly in VR, so it's um, so it's not probably not my. Uh, uh, I'm not the not, not the market for it, but Star Citizen, I definitely would. Um, it strikes me as the kind of thing that most people would, um, uh, like nearly everybody would be interested in who has uh, who has a an iPad or a tablet kicking around. Um, and I find it interesting that you offer a pretty complete feature set completely for free. Um, like the specialist stuff is uh, is is paid, but the um, but there's no um, uh, but you know those bindings all already exist in game um, in Elite, so it, it's not like it's not like people wouldn't be able to make use of those features if they were using the basic game glass. Um, it like I'm curious as to why you decided to offer the basic the, the rudiments for free rather than charging for the whole thing, and also w what what drove the decision to split it up the way you have and go with a subscription model for the whole shebang rather than a a one off purchase. Those are great questions. That's <laughs> Andy. Why don't you take that one? Oh, so, yeah, really, really good question. So, um, one of the one of the things that drove it initially is that that we we started making this uh, off the back of a tremendous amount of community support, and we really kind of wanted to give back to the community that that enabled us to to get to where we've been. So, we wanted to give back and kind of try and give them. Um, a, a few extra shards. You know, for Star Citizen, there's not two shards. There's actually four shards that they get for free. And for Elite Dangerous as well, you know, it, it's a game near and dear to my heart. And we wanted to try and give them something that um, that gave them a really great experience and that gave them a really great introduction to what Game Glass was as well. So it's a little bit of a way to kind of, you know, to to show them what is possible with a, with a platform like this and to show them what we can create. Uh, and if we can give them a really great experience alongside that, then then even better. So that kind of yeah. is what drove us to, to do the, the two free shards, uh, um, is, is kind of giving them that, feel like that. Um, there are some, you know, just purely from a business perspective, it, it kind of helps get people in to try the product as well, which is always good. Uh, and from a pricing perspective, we, we found really early on that some people, people are really sharply divided. Some people really like subs. They just, just, just tell me one price, I'll pay one price and I'll just get everything. Don't make me pick and choose. I just want the whole, all, I want all the things. Yeah. So they can just subscribe and they get everything for all the shards, for all the games, present and future, anything released in the future that's included in their, in their, uh, their subscription as well. But some people hate subscriptions. Oh my God, don't make me subscribe to another thing. I've got Netflix. I've got Discord. I've got all these things. God damn it. I just subscribed for Disney plus so I can get the Mandalorian enough. I don't want any more. So just let me buy the thing that I want. But everyone wants to buy something different. Some people go mining, some people go exploring, and they don't do both. So I just want to buy the one thing that I want. So we, we kind of made a shot that you like. And so it was very driven by what the uh, it was very driven by what the what users what feedback you got from users rather than speculatively then. Yeah, and look, right. we, we had some obviously some some goals. We we've we've built Game Glass to be sustainable over a long period of time, and we we had to do it that way because 
almost every game we support and almost every worthwhile game today evolves dramatically over time. And we really wanted to support that evolution over time. So when a game adds a new feature, we want to add support to that in Game Glass. We want to update your shards. We want to fix all the bugs. We want to enhance them with new features. And that means that we need to be here and we need to have a team built to do that sustainably. So we need to, to build a business that was sustainable. So that yeah. drove some of the pricing, but there was a lot of listening to the community up front about you know, how they wanted to buy it, how they wanted to support it, how they wanted to use it. And that was a huge influence on how we built things. It's yeah. It, 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 I'm curious because it, um, Shan would probably agree with me here, but I um, it it's, it seems extraordinarily generous to give away the, as, as much function as much functionality as you do completely for free. Um, like I guess uh, a, a, a less generous approach would have been to um, to offer a uh, like a trial period rather than trial rather than trial functionality. If that makes sense, you'd Perfect. be surprised at how many people think the entire thing should be free. All of it should be free. Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, everything should be free. <laughs> People are insane. <laughs> I, I was about to sort of ask some supplementary questions um, from what Suvarin was talking about in terms of the business. Now, I completely understand the model of giving away a lot for free because in it's, it's a new company, it's a new product, and you want to build the interest and the hype. And if yeah, so what if you don't make as much money as you could? You've built the user base, you've built the fan base, if you like, and that then builds more revenue from there. My my other question is, as I'm looking in the model and I'm thinking, okay, once the product gets established and stuff, would you consider licensing it? You know, some a lot of companies now make most of their money from licensing engines and technology than the product themselves. So mm -hmm. is that a direction you've thought about in terms of licensing your proprietary software to other companies who maybe want to incorporate it into their own games? And so, for example, let's say for sake of argument, No Man's Sky could actually approach Game Glass and say, hey guys, can we please use your thing to as an additional input device to No Man's Sky? And it would just be one yeah. big button that says press F to talk. Integrate it actually into the game, so you actually, instead of having the you know the, the separate program that you runs alongside it, it would actually be in the game itself as a as a yeah as a as a licensed and proprietary technology. I mean, it's a it's a no. It's a really interesting it's a really interesting point. I think um, we've we've had some good conversations with with studios. We've spoken to the people who make Euro Truck Simulator. We've spoken to Hello Games and like No Man's Sky. We've got a, a, an aggressive roadmap um, for where we want to go with Game Glass and how we want to build it out, both for users and kind of behind the scenes. And obviously, can't too, talk too much about that stuff. But those kinds of things get really interesting, where a game can kind of bake some of the features of Game Glass into the core of the game that would enable some really interesting experiences um, for, for these second screen devices. So it's, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting point, something we, we do think a lot about. Any other questions from you guys before I dive into... Oh, are there any other... Right, for the stream and for our listeners, do you want to explain any other... You expl we've talked about the flight and the combat tabs. Uh, Elite Dangerous also has a mining and, a, and an exploration tab. Do you want to explain to us a little bit about them and tell us a bit about the, the value added that they give and... Why yep. that's worth six, seven dollars essentially? Sure, and these yes. are um, these are American dollars. I'm assuming. Yeah, it's in US. So yeah, so what do they have? 
so the flight systems and the combat, you're going to see a lot of things. So we're, we're able to pull from the, the Elite Dangerous Player Journal. So you'll still be able to see your fuel, cargo, locations, your credits, the status of your pips, all kinds of other things. But where it gets really interesting and, and really shows the integrations is when we get into the mining and exploration shards. Um, these ones are actually really fun to do. So I, I hadn't done any mining before I started working on the mining shard. Uh, so it was pretty easy for me to figure out what would be helpful because I'd never really done it before. Um, and there's actually some things on our roadmap for this that I'll, I'll get to at the end here. But uh, what we're doing here is we're still grabbing things from the log file. So if you look at the prospecting section there, when you fire a prospector limpet into an asteroid, what's really great is that you don't even need to target that limpet anymore. You can just look at Game Glass, and Game Glass is automatically going to be updated oh, with wow. prospecting information. That's so you can just cool. be on your merry way and yeah, that just is go. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so I, that was just an unexpected advantage I found when I was doing it. Is yeah, you just don't need to target it anymore, which is nice because yeah. I can't remember my targeting controls ever. <laughs> and then if you do have a mother load material in there, it will display it in blue, your average price for it and the max price you can get for that specific mother load material you've uh, you prospected. Um, one of my favorite features though is that pulse scan button. And that's a really cool one because it actually has a really nice animation to it as well. Um, if you press it once, it just sends out a pulse scan. Now keep in mind you have to have this actually bound to the proper um, fire group. So for it says right on my screen here, pulse scan is mouse one. So if you have it, if you're on the fire group for a pulse scan and you have it bound to mouse one, then you can basically use this feature. Now, if you press the toggle button and you turn that on and then you press pulse scan, it's going to hold that button down. So you can just drive around that asteroid field or as long as you want, and it's going to continuously send out a pulse scan without you having to touch anything at all. So it's like and every five seconds it'll go bush kind of thing or something. It, it's just, it automatically just does it constantly. Yeah. So it's actually holding down that specific button. So you don't have to do anything and it's just going to constantly pulse scan. And then it's some, very similar with the seismic charge there. So if you have it bound to your secondary mouse, so mouse two, then it just automates the process of sending out seismic charges. So if you press medium on game glass, it's going to send out a medium seismic charge, same with high and low. So you don't have to think about holding it for you know one and a half seconds or whatever it is for medium. <laughs> and that is worth it just for the that feature. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. I see. So you, you're actually, I see you're actually writing... Pulse scan mouse one and seismic charge mouse two there just to let us know what you've got them bound to as well. I see. Yeah, just you know as a, a backup because yeah. you know it's it's not super obvious and I'm sh there's always ways we can improve our onboarding experience um, and we we're, we're always thinking about how we can do a little bit better of a job of that. But we're hoping you know that at least gets it make it clicks for most people. Um, as for the data bank on the right, this is super helpful, especially for me. Now, this is where I was talking earlier about gameplay friction. And when you are in a location and you want to find a, a ring to go mine some void opals, right now, the best way to do that, Alt-Tab out, go to EDDB or Inara, and then uh, go to the right page, put in your location. It sends you, it gives you a big list of all the stuff. Then you go back into the game and then figure out where that is. Um, with our data bank here, on the ring finder, uh, you know what? I don't have. I didn't send you. I didn't send you one of those uh, that shows the ring finder. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna 
I'm, I'm showing the ring finder, I think, at the moment, I think. Although I'm not I'm not on a mining ship at the moment. Um uh, I can second. see Ring Finder and I can see Leasty. I've got this data for Leasty, which is where I was. Um Yeah, I think I'm, I'm on in the, the tour now. So it says Leasty and it says Leasty one has a metal rich, low reserve uh ring, Leasty one A, one uh ring B is metal rich low. Uh metal uh, rich well, low for that. Right now I think we're just looking at the screenshots I sent you guys. Not All right, is, it's end. not live, is it? No, I don't think so. so, okay, so what's, the, what's the range in light years? So we've got saying locations. Uh, I believe in game it's 40 light years is the radius, but obviously in, in other tools it can be as what you like almost. So I'm just wondering, is there a maximum range for that? I think it's not a maximum range. I believe we're filtering out results, though, just until we get more data on how much of a load it's going to be, um, depending on how how much data we can provide. So another problem with our limited beta test was we didn't have as many people as we would have liked to in order to do all the API queries in order to gather this data. So as we progress, we'll probably increase that limit. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to give you an answer on what that limit is right now, just because that would be a better question suited for our backend developer. Um, but I, I don't think it's very limiting. So if, I, if I'm on the ring finder right now um, and I look at, uh, I, can, I can filter by icy uh, rings and I can change my reserve level to pristine. And then I'm going to get, uh, I probably want to filter it by distance and I'm getting stuff. Um, um, I'm getting stuff about 25 light years away right now. But I don't, yeah, okay, there you go. So now you can see it here. So yeah, so you can filter it out. Uh, I'm getting stuff specifically from me 25 light years away, but I believe it, it's just filtering on the amount of results. And I think it can go quite a bit higher than that. As for the selling locations, it's, it's, it's a similar feature. So when, you're, when you prospect an asteroid, you mine that asteroid and you refine that mineral, um, the mineral is automatically going to be selected in the drop down that says select an option for your mineral. So if you just uh, refine void opals, it'll automatically have that selected. Um, so basically what it does after that is it just sorts by distance or price and you can see where you're going to get the most money based on your current location uh, for that specific mineral, which is really handy because you don't need to alt tab or anything. It's just going to give you all that up to date data just right away automatically i have a question while um while there's a second um is there a um uh, has there been any problems uh i know that the elite dangerous eula um references uh getting any um get any help from third-party tools um and um uh and and technically i think the a lot of things that are widely used in the elite community are probably eula breaking because they give an advantage outside of the game um i would have thought that game glass if you were feeling litigious game glass could probably class as one of those um have you had any problems from um from ip holders about um about potentially giving an unfair advantage in multiplayer games through use no I, I don't think we I don't really think we give an unfair advantage. I think when we're talking about an unfair advantage, we're talking about things that emulate things that are going to give you an advantage. So a good example would be in Star Citizen, um, let's say you want to do a 180 retarget that person and shoot missiles in a single macro. 
Um, that's really difficult to do just using your yeah. joystick. If we emulate that, then that's absolutely giving you advantage. Yeah. Uh, if we're doing things like holding down a button to do a pulse scan, um, it's not really giving anyone an advantage. It's just kind of making, it's just reducing or increasing your quality of life. Yeah, 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 um, absolutely. So we try to avoid stuff that could get us into trouble for sure. Uh, we don't want to give anybody a competitive advantage in any way, but we do want to remove gameplay friction. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. As well, the spoon quite rightly said, and which I was about to say, it's no more of an advantage or disadvantage than voice attack or HTS voice packs or other kind of things like that. It's I, you know, I would say actually, I would say actually, the voice packs offer potentially m more in terms of combat because you can run macros with voice. Exactly. Yeah, it, it certainly wasn't an accusation. It was more a more a, a curiosity point. No, that's that's a good question. Okay, I'm just going to dive in with a couple of questions from our Twitch channel. So I think some of these have already actually been answered, but will it sync the status of your headlights, cargo scoop, landing gear? if you don't toggle those things from the app itself. And yes. I know for that, because the answer is hell yes. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. So, you know, I actually pressed the landing gear on my joystick, and I can see that the landing gear has gone off and gone orange for me in the, in the app. And I know if I go off and toggle my, oh, my power settings, then they get, that gets managed and reflected in the app and things like that. One, uh, so that's coming from Lenin. Commander Yossarian74 is saying this would be really, really useful to console commanders, um, <laughs> even more so than to PC commanders. Oh, boy. Um, if that's even possible. So we, <laughs> we didn't realize it was going to be so contentious when we released this for, um, for PC. We didn't really think twice about how many people would be requesting it for console nor did we think that many people played elite on console mm. but holy moly we've had a lot of requests for it on console lately um the problem with the consoles is it's a closed environment we can't we can't tap into it like we can on your pc you're downloading the host software on your pc we connect to it it acts as a server we connect to it as uh, with your tablet on the same local network the problem is you can't download software onto your PS4 or Xbox that's going to allow that kind of connection. Um, and not only that, but I don't believe there's an API or anything where you can actually execute a command or even get the player journal status, all that kind of stuff. Where would that be stored on a on a you, console? You can get no the player idea. journal, a lot of the player journal stuff, because that is Frontier on some kind of cloud synchronization thing. Um, okay. I don't know exactly yeah. how, but I know there's a way for commanders to get journalish information from the console. But on the other hand, right. pressing a pressing say the landing gear button on my tablet and having my Xbox think I've pressed right tab or right arrow key and then Y or something like that. I don't know yeah. how the heck you're going to know that. Yeah, and that's something we've actually we've looked into it very briefly on if there's a way we can do that. The only things that really exist right now are, I believe it's um, the Xbox had like a, a glass, a smart glass or something app mm -hmm. at some point, but it just, it's basically like turning your phone into a controller. Um, but Could you do it via plugging, the, plugging it in via USB or something, maybe? That, 
Yeah, that would be the only way. But I, I believe at that point you're looking at a proprietary uh, peripheral, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't think you can just plug a tablet a tablet into your <laughs> PS4 and have anything special happen with it. It would need to be something uh, different. So yeah. it's a matter of getting to a point where we can talk to Microsoft or Sony and work on something with them versus trying to hack something together that may or may not work. Yep. Right. Commander Miggles is asking, does the pulse scan still work if you change fire groups? Uh, it it will, yes, um, but that's why you want to turn it off when you switch fire crews. <laughs> and also, what about pros- um, how does the prospecting information work if you've got two prospecting limpets out there? So it's just going to detect the most recently prospected asteroid. Right, okay. Yeah. What about if I prospect and hit an asteroid and then accidentally fire off a second one and miss? It will still show the most recently re- uh, prospected asteroid. Fair enough, then. And Commander Wotherspoon's asking, what would be lovely would be if it changed the cockpit mode automatically if you try to use the um, some of the scanning tools whilst you're in combat mode, and equally, actually, if you try to fire your guns Great point. while you're in, in um, system scan mode. Absolutely. You know, if your, if your app could detect I'm trying to shoot things... And then go off and change modes for me. That's worth that's seven dollars right there. That would be wonderful. That's that's a very interesting point. Um, <laughs> I think it would be relatively tricky to do. Now we did a bunch of research trying to figure out if we could detect what, like, we know what fire group you're in, but right. from our research, we weren't able to detect what is in that fire group specifically. So it's hard for us to tell but i did have somebody mention in discord the other day that you can actually get the weapon information for each of your fire groups so i'm gonna have another little look at that and if that is the case then uh, we should be able to do a little bit more functionality like that because we could really solidify our, our mining stuff here where it's only the the pulse scan and the seismic charges are only active if you have that fire group active um and same with switching to combat or flight based on what weapon you're firing specifically. So that is something we could do. Uh, it's just a matter of if we can accomplish that based on the data that we can get from the game. Yeah, I would imagine one obvious-ish maybe example that I think could be done would be if you're getting interdicted and you submit to the interdiction, I have a feeling that message is locked. And if it could then, your app would know I'm in system scan mode, I'll automatically change because, hey, you've just been interdicted. This is probably not a friendly encounter. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely automations we could set up like that. I the, the thing is, though, I don't know if everybody is going to want the same functionality. So true. at that point, it might be uh, we offer some more customization saying that if this, then that, basically, yeah. for users to do. Um, right, I'm just seeing if there are any other. I see valuable use if you can use it as a second screen for display purposes, even for your hot ass customers. Yeah, that's very true. Um, a lot of our users actually, a lot of a lot of people use Game Glass alongside their Hotas. Even if they've got a joystick and a the throttle, they'll kind of put Game Glass in the middle and kind of use it for some of the really common things. Yeah, not everyone's got a, a Hotas with dozens and dozens of buttons. Some have yeah. a really high quality joystick but it's only got like three switches on it so a lot of people will mix will mix it all up i certainly wouldn't have thought that um it would be limited to people without hot asses um like game glass strikes me as the as absolutely perfect for 
a player who doesn't want to play in VR, regardless of setup, because there are there are loads of there are loads and loads of bindings. Elite has more bindings than than most uh, hot asses have buttons, <laughs> and um, and oh, something like yes. Game Glass would just let you would just allow you to get more out of the game. And so for me, it's it's an immersion tool rather than a rather than a, a hot ass replacement. I de- we've definitely also, use it in conjunction with the hot ass. We've actually thought about that too. Um, I actually picked up VR last year to see if there's something we can do to help the VR experience. And personally, I know that I have major issues playing Elite in VR because I can't see my HOTAS and I have no idea where the buttons are and, and feeling around for them doesn't really work that well for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the idea always was, okay, well, if I perform a specific gesture in VR, am I able to bring up the game glass screen and then somehow be able to interact with it while in game, while in VR? Mm. Um, that way I wouldn't really have to think about it. And I'd get all the the extra information um, like like you would from alt tabbing and looking at EDDB or an R or anything like that automatically just with game glass, um, just with a gesture. So it's something we've thought about for sure. Uh, it's not currently on the roadmap, but it's absolutely something we'd like to do at some point. Mm. So, okay. Another question which I think I know the answer to, but I'll let you guys answer, is... Uh, Commander Mellowcoop is asking, does it work on a touchscreen laptop running Windows 10? Absolutely. We've got a Windows app store app, and you can also access it via a browser. So a lot of legacy devices, um, it only works on a browser because we do have minimum requirements for the application on the app store. But you can access it via browser as well. As, as The only limitation is you cannot use just a touchscreen monitor. Um, the problem with the touchscreen monitor would be it would steal focus from the game once you tapped on that monitor. So that uh, would not yeah. work. But uh, as long as it's on the same local area network, then it's totally fine. You can use whatever so you if want. If I had, say, a, I don't know, like a... I could use this on my on my laptop and, okay, fine, I could use the mouse and keyboard for it, but it would it would work. Yeah, as if it's a touch. Yeah, there's lots of touchscreen laptops that people use True. it on for sure. Yeah. yeah, and people will mix devices as well. They'll have a, a touchscreen laptop and uh, their phone, uh, and they'll have like the the fragment mobile phone version on their phone. They'll have a full screen version of, of a different fragment. So you can have you know you can have multiple devices connected, and each device showing a different shard. So you can kind of build oh. your own little kind of cockpit of these different sort of arrays around you, showing different things. Right. I'm gonna dive in with more questions. Uh, um, so you've you've touched on yeah, sorry. I had one um, about uh, if if you're if you're waiting for more Twitch. No, I've got some I questions that I've got lined up that I want to oh, ask. Sorry, but, okay, all right, I'll, I'll let you go on then. Um, so you've touched on this with community design shards, but can you do you do you want to give any more information about that, or are you wanting to keep that as a feature announcement at a later date? Yeah, I, the the next step for customization is going to be uh, the ability to modify what keybinds you're using. Yeah. Um, that's definitely Q1. We're working on it actually right now. Um, so that's like one of our top priorities. We know that people have a lot different setups with Elite. Um, it's been out for a long time. People have really dialed in their, their keybinds. So being able to customize what Game Glass is using is essential. Um, the issue is... is not as large with Star Citizen because, to be honest, they do a much better job of keeping their profiles separate. So you have a keyboard profile and you have a HOTAS profile. Um, they're completely separate and nothing you do in one of them modifies the other one. Whereas Elite, 
you have a profile selected, but it can be your joystick and your keyboard. Um, yeah. You can't have multiple depending on you know what you're doing in game or anything like that. So uh, one of the things we definitely want to improve is the keyboard custom or the keybind customization. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, I think it's it's like I said, there's a few things we could do that are relatively simple, like changing some of the buttons that are static throughout all of the shards. Um, but beyond that, I don't. Uh, it doesn't make sense at this point to talk about any more customization. But there will be, and it's absolutely a focus. Let's just say that. So I assume with the change in keybinds, then you, you you would pick up the keybinds file and read that, and then put the keys, the relevant keybinds, into the relevant section. The the problem with that is what happens if you have both primary and secondary chosen already. There's, there's, we, we actually, we, I think we spent about four hours on one meeting just going over the key binds for Elite Dangerous, what the XML file looks like, how we can integrate it, how we can take what's in there and then automate the entire process. Um, and we came out saying there's way too many variables here on depending on different people's setups. Automating it completely is never going to work. So we need the ability to just allow users to do what they want first and then introduce a tool that allows you to import it after. So a bit like my, I'm Ben's an awkward sod with his log file location. No, I'm asking a question because I thought there used to be a utility or a website where you could import your... Oh, there, um, there is. And there it is, would then export it into a little diagram of your hotas telling you where and what each button did based on the keybinds file. There is something like that. I mean, obviously, I guess they can read the keybinds file and then I guess maybe they could go off and say, well, okay, you've got landing gear bound to Shift-Alt-P for some random reason. Well, we'll press Shift-Alt-P's as well then, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Right. Suv, you had a question you wanted to ask. Many, many questions. Um, I will ask one. Okay, first of all, um, is there... Uh, how, how plausible would it be to roll voice activation into what Game Glass <laughs> offer? <laughs> or is that compl- like part, part of it is you know working with game inputs and you're already doing that and part of it is well that's a completely different input so would it even you know is that in your wheelhouse so i as a non-programmer i'm sorry if it's an ignorant question um i think uh as far as activating something on game glass with your voice i don't think we would probably pursue that i mean voice attack does a great job of it already i guess i mean um, I, I guess i mean n- rather than activating something i i suppose i mean diversifying from just apps on ipads and and uh and like phones and tablets to be more to going into different ways of augmenting people's play experiences yeah as far as the the voice controls probably not at this point um i think when we're exploring different ways to to interact with game glass i think looking at the stuff i was mentioning earlier with vr is definitely uh in that camp but um I will say that we have talked to um, to the voice attack folks, and um, let's just leave it at that for now. But we, we <laughs> they're great. We like them. They like us. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Voice attack um, is awesome. Yeah, because it's yeah that that was what I was thinking about. Like a tie in, some kind of collaboration there, or, or dovetailing would would be the most wonderfully immersive way of controlling a spaceship. But anyway. Exactly. I know, one thing that I would love would actually be using my tablet's text-speech functionality. Sorry, my tablet's speech-to-text functionality, so I could click on a tab shard, uh, a chat shard, say, 
and then type in, hello, Souverine, how are you doing today? And then my tablet converts that into text and then sends that text to the game. That would be that would be amazingly handy sometimes. Yeah, but it'd be quite limited use though, because you're not always you're not always flying with me, are you? Oh no, it'd be whatever I'd said, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean there's a just a bunch of technical challenges with something like that. Um like if you already have the chat box open, but the macro is you press enter, then you you figure out what the te- or the the speech is translate it to text and then press enter again if you already have the chat open it's not going to work because it'll press enter close your chat and then send that and then open your chat again um so we need to be able to detect if chat is active or not um so i mean little things like that would be a challenge and i think if we were going to do some sort of social integration it would either be one of two things one would be if we have a way to directly tie into the communication panel within Elite Dangerous, which would require some sort of API, I believe, um, from Frontier itself, uh, that would be a good way of doing it. Or having some sort of external communication through Game Glass users. So if you're running Game Glass and he's running Game Glass, then being able to message your friends from Game Glass would be uh, relatively simple. So then you're not having to do something. Uh, in game necessarily, um, and you can just do it via your tablet. But so, could we use that method to control Ben Chip? No, <laughs> no, that's a shame. Um, uh, can I ask question a question from um, yeah. oh, Commander no- Nopilos? Is asking, have you guys been in touch with the Elite G19 guy? Uh, so he wrote a really good. I think it's the G19 is a Logitech uh, thing, and they've also got a there's a Logitech app that's very very similar to Game Glass, and he wrote a a nice little app which gives you some functionality. I'm trying to remember what it does now, but I remember it being a really nice app anyway. Um, and I think one of the things it does is it gives you the bearing to where you're going to to a waypoint or something like that. So. If you're going to a local system maps before they put them in the game. Yeah, it gave us an orary map, that's right. Um, but it also gave us I think it gave us a a bearing to the like say there's a point of interest on a planet, it would help you get down to that as well. Um, interesting. That sounds su- yeah, actually that that sounds really useful. Um, like a a, a, a- a stand-in for planetary bookmarks or a way to navigate more easily on planets towards points of interest would be phenomenally useful. I think, uh, no, we have not been yeah. in contact with them, no, uh, to answer your question. Yeah. Uh, I actually haven't guy. seen this one. Uh, and it's, it's a good app to have a look at. So actually, just re- about that, so obviously, you know, this is Game Glass, but there have been similar things in the past, for example, Rocket Power Grid, Logitech's yep. own thing that I mentioned... They've kind of died. Why? What? What are you going to offer that's better? <laughs> what are you going to offer that's worse? And why are you going to succeed where they failed? So there's a few things there. First would be everything Rokat did was free. Um, maintaining something like this for this for this breadth of devices is very challenging and it it requires somebody to always be thinking about it and working on it and fixing bugs and all that stuff um if they've just released a tool in order to create something cool um and didn't have the resources to dedicate to it because it was free then i would imagine that 
you know, that's probably one of the reasons they stopped supporting it. Um, I mean, they've got a bunch of other products that are paid. I think it's, I believe that's their only free product. And um, yeah, so, so I, that would be my assumption at least. I mean, take that with a grain of salt. I really have no mm -hmm. clue. Um, and then there's been a ton of different free ones. So where we've seen so many different ones come up for uh, star citizen, especially, but the thing is they, they fizzle out relatively quickly once the developer realizes how much work it is to maintain something like this. Um, and not only that, they're a lot more difficult to interact with. So the traditional way of doing it is by figuring out what your IP address is and then on your tablet, downloading an application or visiting by a, a, via a browser and just putting in your IP. Um, the way we're doing it is we're, we're able to detect what that IP is. And when you log in, we're automatically sending you to that location. Um, and not only that, but we're able to provide updates on our screens automatically with the same system. So you always have the most up-to-date version of Game Glass automatically without doing anything. Um, and not only that, but I mean, we I, I'm a designer by trade, so I have the ability to create some really cool things. And we've got some really senior developers working on the front end. So um, one of the keys to Game Glass is immersion. And if it doesn't look like it belongs in the game, I mean, it's people don't really want it. Um, that's the whole point. You want to feel like you're in a cockpit. You want something that looks like it should be in your cockpit, not just a grid of buttons that's you know black and gray or red or something that makes no sense being there. Um, so that's one of the reasons I think that these other ones have fizzled out. And uh, because of our business model, we have the ability to constantly iterate on this. So I think that by having the business model we do, uh, it's going to really allow us to succeed in the future because we're able to, you know, pay pay the, for the resources in order to keep everything up to date. So related to that is you've got your business model that you've got into a fair amount already, but let's say something terrible happens and you decide, you know what, guys, you know, we've given it the best shot, but we're going to have to call it a day. Are the steps that could be taken to to make it just a client side application, or even open source or something like that, or does it have to be cloud? Yeah, we actually so, we actually thought about that really early on in our in our Kickstarter, not our Kickstarter, our Indiegogo campaign. We one of the perks that we sold was lifetime access, and we we needed to make sure it was actually lifetime access, not just you know. The life of game glass so we have the abilities on the server and when i say tweak it's not a small tweak it's a, it's a bit of work to do it but it's been specifically designed that we can we can remove some of the the access checks that we do so that you'll just have permanent um ongoing access to whatever it is that you've purchased so lifetime so when you when you buy it to own it you you own it and if something untoward happens god forbid to, to game glass then you'll you'll have that forever was there anything you wanted to add on to that draken no, that's, that's pretty accurate. Um, as far as the the actual act of decompiling everything and then turning it, you know, uh, obviously it wouldn't be a, a login service at that point. It would it would be something where a user is just connecting to their local IP address. Yeah. So I mean, at that point, yeah, uh, it would take a lot of work on our end, but it's definitely possible. There's no way we would just, uh, you know, call it quits and then just leave everyone hanging. There's we wouldn't do. That. <laughs> See you later, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you've talked about that, talked about that. Okay, so, okay, let's turn it the other direction. What happens if things are absolutely freaking amazing and all of a sudden you get like several bazillion people all log into Game Glass tomorrow? <laughs> AWS scale a literal seamlessly and perfectly and no one notices any guts whatsoever because that's just the way magic technology works. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask uh, a shitty question. <laughs> well, if that well, happens... I, I'm then... assuming you're using cloud computing with, or something like that rather than your own physical yeah, servers. Um, so I guess there's yeah. some kind of scalability <laughs> built in there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that... Yeah, and I know our back-end dev um, is listening to this, so I'm, we'll probably say something that's going to make him uh, vomit. But, yeah, a whole bunch of, of magical pixie dust in the cloud um, because uh, relatively... You're breaking up there. Yeah, he, it's uh, Australian internet. I'll, I'll finish his thought, at least. <laughs> um, so a billion people log in tomorrow. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm quitting my day job uh, and working on this full-time, but... Um, no, it's you know it's it's business as usual. It's just a matter of getting the amount of people we need to get in. In uh, I mean, it's a more compelling pitch to studios to integrate it directly when you have, a, you know, X amount of people on a platform. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's business as usual. We could we could make things a, a, a absolutely a thousand times better, um, but you know, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna change anything too significantly in the short term. Um, can I ask a, a question about um, the elite versus star citizen community-wise and development-wise? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so star citizen from, um, I, I guess, like, uh, first of all, how much overlap is there between those two communities? Because um, elite feels like you, you said that it's quite a close-knit community and everybody knows each other. So, And you'd have thought, you know, um, that, the the audience for two big MMO space games would be pretty much the same same individuals. Um, have you found that to be true, or is it a completely different? Have you had to introduce yourself to a completely new community and warm a, a completely new set of people up to your idea? So I think there's a couple things there. I think the first is that, uh, yeah, we we absolutely did. Um, I think I think there's a lot of people that play Elite that are now getting into Star Citizen because of Two reasons. One is that Star Citizen's been releasing some really amazing things lately, and they're really progressing and doing some really cool stuff, and people want to check it out. Um, and two, there's just a big content drought with Elite right now, so people are looking for other games. Uh, yeah, okay, I don't yeah. think it's as much going the other way, to be honest. I don't think there's a lot of people playing Star Citizen that are going to Elite because they're not happy with Star Citizen. Um, I found... I think at least this is my personal opinion, but I found the star citizen community to be a lot more uh, star citizen only. I think it's because of the amount of money they've invested in it. (laughs) 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 Um, As, as for elite, it's, you know, people have built this community over many years, whereas star citizen is, is the same uh, relatively, but it's a lot more frustrating of a gameplay experience playing star citizen than it is elite. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a few things there, but I, I, it's definitely a matter for us of, of building a completely new user base for Elite. I think if we went the other direction and did Elite first and then moved into Star Citizen, I think it would have been a little bit easier, uh, honestly. But you know, going the other direction, either way, we're happy with, with how we've done things. And um, we know that the community is very talkative, and I'm sure that 
uh, we're going to have a you know a much larger user base than we currently do, um, and very very soon I would imagine. Cool, uh, Ben. Did you want to Ben? I'm just going through the list of questions that I've got. So if you've got more meat, Suv, keep going. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, another one um, that I thought of while um, while somebody was asking a question earlier. Um, the um, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, the the elite, the, the Star Citizen bindings are um, are much more um, easy to work with because their the keyboard and the hotass are separate. And you also said that you'd been talking to CIG. Have you found um, have you found certain developers much much more open and enthusiastic about working with third party tools like tool providers like Game Glass than others? Yeah, name so, and shame, guys. Well, name yeah, absolutely, shame. name and shame. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think it it really depends. Um, I mean, we meet, we met with a bunch of different studios when we went to the UK for CitizenCon. Uh, I think what studios need to see is that once there's traction for a, a specific product, a lot of people are using it, a lot of people like it. It makes sense to talk to that developer and try to work on something together. Um, I think they're hesitant a lot of the time because they probably get a lot of different pitches from a lot of different products that really aren't um, you know, the, the premium experience they're probably looking for yep. um, that they want integrated and associated with their IP. So it, it depends, I think, because uh, we wouldn't have been talking with CIG if it wasn't for creating a massive community around Game Glass and Star Citizen mm. uh, and getting the traction we had. I mean, we know that there's, there's loads of developers in CIG that actually use Game Glass. We were told by many of the developers that were at CitizenCon that they use it. Um, oh, that's so, cool. That's really nice. Yeah, that made us feel pretty awesome. Um, I bet. But, you know, there's clearly a, a want and a need for it. Whereas uh, with other different studios, like, um, as an example, Space Engineers, um, you know, that the use case is a lot different. So they would have to actually be taking their developers off projects to work with us to integrate something versus us being able to just make some incredible experiences on our own due to just to what's uh, like keybinds, just executing keybinds plus what's available through the community already. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it really depends on the studio, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It interests me. Some, some of the names that you mentioned when you were um, talking about the other games that you had thought about the applications for Game Blast for, they really surprised me. Like Space Engineers, re that really surprises me as a, as a potential avenue for for game glass because it's it's not it's not a simulator like I, I when i when i look at the shards i just think oh this is a simulation immersion tool um so i find it really interesting that you're that you're that you're thinking about games that just aren't simulators um but actually yeah. pres presumably if, if if what if if what you're building is sort of modular enough and 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 versatile enough it could be very much like a utility make you know you could use it for crafting games um things like um Things like making it easier to control things and making it easier to, to craft things and move inventories around and that sort of thing. Is that, yep. is that the sort of way you're thinking about the future for games like that? Uh, yeah, yeah really I mean, of, go ahead, Andy. I was going to say, we, we really do think of Game Glass, as Craig said earlier, is it's not so much about a, a game control platform as it is a game friction removing platform. Yeah. The game, the friction for, for games like Star Citizen and Elite Dangerous often is controlling and accessing all of the different cool things that you can do. The friction for a game like um, Ark, for example, might be what are the recipes to cook these foods? You know, the friction yeah. for a game like 
No Man's Sky is how do I manage my inventory? The friction for a game like um, you know, Euro Truck Simulator is, is how do I access my map or how do I get a view through the rear view camera? Or like, The friction for each game is different. So the solution that Game Glass provides is different. But we want to be able to provide friction solutions for lots of different game, games and in lots of different ways. Yeah, okay. Yeah, makes sense. It's an interesting way of thinking about it, the friction of um, game experiences. And it's sort of, um, it, it, it's, it feels like plugging holes that game devs aren't able to plug with their own games because, um, because they're not, you know, they're working with one, one, set, one set of inputs and, and individual machines. Yeah, I'm just so, thinking uh, I've just yeah, finished watching... We, we want to be very respectful. Oh, Andy. I was going to say, we want to be very respectful of each, each studio and the way they're designing the game as well, you know. Um, we've had a really interesting chat with the people who make Subnautica and they made a very conscious decision not to include a map in that game. That, that's something they decided specifically that they wanted to have as part of the game is you never had a map. You had to think about where you were. So if we provided a map, we could do that. Technically, it removes a friction point, but it's actually yeah. degrading the experience the developer specifically intended for their game. So we kind of want to be a bit careful about it. It's going to be a bit different for every for every game um but there are some really interesting ways we can kind of talk to developers about you know maybe you know you don't have time to, to build this kind of experience it's relatively niche but you know if you find a, a really great partner who makes these really high quality premium experiences maybe there's something interesting that we could take off your hands where we you feel like you trust us to to steward your vision in a respectful way. yeah yeah makes sense. And i think another point on that is um when developers create different things for your game, so like I said, there's 250 keybinds in in Starsis, and and when I was going through the Elite Dangerous keybinds and assigning different keys to those, I noticed there was a ton of unused, uh, unbound by default keybinds as well. Yeah, um, and that's another thing we can easily fix, right? So we can say this unused keybind. Why don't we bind that to something in Game Glass so it's easily accessible by a user? Um, yeah. As Andy likes to put it, that every single unbound Keybind is a feature that the developer created that hardly ever gets used. Yeah, so it's almost totally. a waste. Totally. Um, yeah. So that's that's one of the the benefits we have too. Is then um, you know if there's especially if there's a game with lots of unbound keybinds that uh, you know it's a pretty simple decision that Game Glass would definitely be helpful in that situation. Yeah, and what you're essentially doing is um, is you're unlocking more of the features that the dev had in mind, um, making yeah. them more accessible. Exactly. For me, one of my bugbears about many PC games is how they seem to take a console controller and use that <laughs> as the main control main interface oh. of the game. I, I understand why yes. they do it, but well, let's say for example, like again, most people play Skyrim. Skyrim is classic controller interface stuff. The same with No Man's Sky actually as well. And it, yeah, and it just annoys it, it's almost like it's a PC. We have a big keyboard. We have mice. We have all this. Can't you be bothered to even just give us something that doesn't? You know. so, with with, uh, with No Man's Sky, the 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 stick, your left your left uh, controller stick moves a cursor on the screen. So yeah, you're you're right. Like the boxes are massive because it's a because it's a console interface. But you're still you're still pushing a cursor around with your with your analog stick. It's really stupid. Sorry, complete aside. I've been, I've been annoyed about that for years. <laughs> you know, I, I agree, though. I mean, I think one of the first ports I played from, uh, from PS4 to console was the, the Division. And I remember just going through the menus and everything was just 
it was super clunky. Instead of having just like a back arrow I could click on, you had to press like Q or something. And it's it, it was clearly designed for a console, but um, the interface for <laughs> for a PC was just awful. Yeah, but I definitely know what you're saying. It happens so often that does. Mm-hmm. But I know one thing that I, I've been recently playing was oh the Je- for, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, which game I loved, but there were some of the times when some of the combinations and some of the stuff I don't think it would work for game glass using it as an input device because it's too much of a Twitch game. Uh, but one thing I don't, and I don't know if this would even be possible, but having game glass showing me the map and there is a map in that game instead of having to like, I'm looking down, I'm looking up, I'm looking down, I'm looking up and I'm trying to figure out where the hell I needed to go. That was, that was such a bugbear for me. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what we would love to do if possible. Um, even with Star Citizen navigating the map in Star Citizen just is terrible, terrible experience. Uh, but if you could emulate that somehow and put it on like a touchscreen device and be able to navigate it with that, it would make life way easier. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's de- that's definitely a goal for us is you know just to remove that friction and and to point on the Twitch stuff. Yeah, we thought about a lot of uh, different Twitch-based actions that you'd be able to perform in games, and it's always been there makes no sense to have anything like that on game glass because nobody's going to take their hands off a controller in order to fire a gun or reload or, you know, duck for cover or anything like that because you're focused on the game. So we try to avoid any kind of Twitch actions on game glass because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Suv and Shan, any questions from you guys or you and or you, Kirkwell, if you want to Twitch in. Right. I'm going to guess that's a no. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure we'll think of a hundred more questions <laughs> once, we get, once we get hold of it and start using it. But, you know, I, I think we've kind of, it's been a good interview. Thanks. I know Ben's going to thank you, but I, I've actually found it fascinating. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I'm glad. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, we appreciate we appreciate you guys having us on. It's been, this has been a great interview. and It's been nice to talk about it. And uh, there's been some really good questions here that we haven't been asked before. So that's really good. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's always good then as well. So, any other things that you guys want to say? I was going to say, look, the 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 Elite Dangerous community is is such a, a unique one. It, it's it's such a, a deep and wide game, and I mean, it's amazing to see you know the Elite Dangerous mining community and the Elite Dangerous exploration community and the combat community and you know the radio and the the con that's coming up. And there's so much effort and passion and love that goes into all these different community areas, and that's been a huge inspiration to us as we've kind of walk through it all. So I, I just want to say thank you to the entire community for making the game feel like it's a living, kind of breathing space to inhabit, if you're part of the pun. It's, um, it's, it's pretty pretty cool to experience. And Mellowcoop is getting in with one final one very quickly. Uh, question on platforms again. Which platform would your shards be more engineered for for performance, the app interface or the web-based interface, or are they the same? Uh, it's essentially the exact same thing. A lot of people just like the native application version. So, I mean, you can create your own <laughs> PWA, uh, but um, a, a lot of people just wanted to download an app from the App Store and connect, but it's essentially the exact same thing if you access it from a browser. The only difference would be maybe some of the navigation that you're going to see unless you make it a web app and put it on your home screen. So you might see some of the browser stuff on that, so that's why also another reason we wanted to have a, a native application, so it hid everything and made it more more immersive. 
but performance wise they'd be the same right and i don't think you can answer this but we're getting some questions in asking what things could you give to the background simulation community <laughs> if anything that you could but i don't know if you'd be able to even think about answering that at the moment <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> adding a binding for triggering uh tr triggering system ownership transfer would be super useful yeah, I don't think that binding actually exists either. No, I guess it's, not. It's, it might be right next to the I win button. Yeah, 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 or the get good <laughs> button. Yeah, I, I can see, for example, I mean, we've got mining and exploration. I do. Th I, an obvious additional shard would be a trading shard. Um, Maybe. Wow. But yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to ask you about that. I just it could be an obvious idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, there's some interesting areas we want to explore. Trading is definitely one of them. SLF and SRV is one we want to explore. Wings, even, is something we want to explore. Nothing to announce, no very concrete plans, but yeah. we, we're definitely thinking about what other things we can have. A wings and a crewman, MP, a crewman, like issuing commands to your ship launch fighters would be so handy, actually. That would be, that'd be a really handy one. Trading um, sounds ridiculously handy. Not having to alt tab to, um, oh, to EDDB. No. My oh, God. God, that'd be so good. Take yes. my money. Take my money, Game Glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love how your mining one, for example, you've just got your, you've just got like a big button saying night vision mode. It's yeah. so, yeah. so true. <laughs> the first thing I do when I land in a, in a hotspot. <laughs> yep. Um, other people are suggesting a squadron, a squadron controlling shard as well. Yep. Um, right. I'm not sure yeah. how that works. Squadron of Wings, SLF, SRV. Yeah, there's yeah. a bunch all of that, All that good stuff. Right. So, are you guys wanting to mention anything that's happening in July that you may or may not be going to? Uh, LaveCon may or may not be going to. We're chatting with them now. Hopefully, we'll be able to find some space for a booth, but um, we'd, love to, we'd love to come along. I've never been right. to one, but I, I keep every time I read about it, I think it looks amazing. So, uh, if we can get there, it'd be great. Now, Lavecon's tremendous fun. I mean, I think actually, Sue, did you make? You've not, have you been to a Lavecon yet? Yeah, I went to. I didn't make a couple of years one. ago. Um, yeah, yeah, I went in 2018. I was I was supposed to go this year, but I was on on my honeymoon, and Alan's yeah. and Alan's reply was, "Oh well, um, it's a, that's a shame that you booked it for that week." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough then." But that's good that you mentioned. Yeah, we ran. We ran, a, we ran a booth at, uh, at CitizenCon for, for Star Citizen just this year, or sorry, uh, late last year. Uh, and it was amazing to go along and meet the fans and meet the people who loved the game and, and a few people who've used Game Glass and chat with the developers. It was, it was really great to, to be there. So hopefully we can do the same. But, uh, right. Well, in that case, I'm going to thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find us at gameglass.gg. That's our website. Uh, so make sure you go game there. Game Glass does get good. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Uh, make sure you, if you're interested in trying it out, you go there, sign up for an account, download the application, and then go to your tablet and you can download everything. There's a there's a guide. You'll 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 find it. Yeah, you'll um, so get that's it where you want to go. It was fairly easy to do. Right, let's. Yep. Right, I can't think of anything else with you guys. So let's dive into a quick advert break, and then we've got 15 minutes to cover absolutely everything else. So thank you so much for joining us, guys. And Absolutely. Let's hit an advert break, Ventura. 
All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Hey, buddy. Why the long face? Exploring is boring. What? What makes you say so? Because I have to scoop for fuel at every single store. And then the voices I hear in the store tell me to... Whoa. Sounds like you've got a case of space madness. No what you really need is really big gas tank. What? With really big gas tank, you'll be sailing the Milky Way in style and comfort. No more hanging out at every store. Stupid star just to refuel. It's as easy as honk and go. Gotta get to Beagle Point for a romantic interlude? Just honk and go. Wanna be the buckiest ball in the galaxy? Just honk and go. And if you fill your really big gas tank with patented Jumbonium 5000, you can honk and go, go, go. Gee, thanks, mister! No, thank you. Really big gas tank. Because why wait when you can honk and go? Japonium 5000 has been known to cause extra arm growth, outdoor mayonnaise, tripism, and spontaneous targo face. Use only as direct. On the far side of the bubble. On the dark side of an airless moon. On the slightly more interesting side of a ravine, there lived the Engineer. The Engineer can make your lasers more powerful. Your engines speedier. And your gas tank really, really big. What do you want? I want fish. Wait, what? That's right, fish! Carp, char, chub, jack, loach, crabby, monkabate, prickleback, sole, snook, snake, tang, wahoo, wabagum, banjo, banga, snook, sole, shad, scat, come on by with the long nose cat. Noodlefish, nibblefish, northern squaw, hooma, hooma, nooka, nooka, wapa, wapa. What about Swedish fish? Why the hell not? Thanks, mister. You're in the wrong commercial. Well, shit. Fish, because, you know, space. Right, well, thank you so much once again to Game Glass. So we've got... We, we're, we're pushing on a bit, so that was that lasted a lot longer than I thought. I thought, you know, we'll maybe talk to them for about chat. half an hour or so. Uh, but that was just a lovely chat, so thank them for, thanks guys for joining us for so long. <laughs> um, so, right, very quickly then, we had a patch release today with Patch 2, uh, which was released at lunchtime today, and I don't want to jinx it, but... It looks like it has actually fixed the EDCQC bug. So play, PlayStation 4 players, fingers crossed, can play CQC again, which is Huzzah. awesome. Uh, if that's the case, they've also gone off and fixed the... Or they're investigating more into the Thargoids having a heart. Um, if you Basically, they're still asking, if the hearts have become invulnerable, please send Frontier your logs. Uh, any other things on the patch that was released today that you guys wanted to talk about? So, what have they broken? <laughs> Nothing. It's all perfect, maybe. So, right. It appears that the Eagle Eye network is not as reliable as we thought. Stephen, yes, that Stephen, um, has announced that the Thargoid, on the Thargoid subforum that 
Stephen has somehow noticed in the confusion that the most recent Thargoid incursions and where they were supposed to appear. Typically, but not always, eagle eyes uh, alert players as to the potential Thargoid incursion targets, warning those commanders of, of a potential incoming threat. These signals follow Thargoid movements and attempt to decipher whether Thargoids will strike next. In most cases, these attacks usually happen one week after eagle after the new eagle eye signals. However, as we saw in Monday's Garnet article, sometimes these attacks can come as a complete surprise, and not always within a week's time. We hope that clarifies any confusion around recent incursions. Good luck and keep your keep keep up fighting the bugs, basically. Uh, and Colin, I'm assuming this is Colin who's added this, has given us a TLDR saying, although Eagle Eye can spot most Thargoid infestations, an incursion or two can slip by regardless of all the work that AXI and Hive do to clear them. Good job, too, because incursions were not happening because AXI are too good for what they do. So the, e so the Eagle Eye was, is it's now not perfect. like, it's like Bat Eye. <laughs> Eagle Eye needs I wonder if, I wonder if, it's, if, if that's a choice. Like, we've decided that Eagle Eye will not be absolutely prescriptive, or, or whether that's just that the system is buggy and this is our hand-wavy explanation for it. Hands up, which one I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and Commander Sabre is also saying they've also fixed com uh, combat zones so that they are no longer never-ending. So, fingers crossed with that one. Right. I've already covered Operation Hot Mess. It's doing awesome. Uh, let me just go and do an update. So currently 8,811 out of 55,326 mugs have been delivered. So currently the Truckers and Friends have delivered 15.93% of stations since last Thursday. So the Truckers keep on push pushing through their hot mess, which is awesome. Uh, we're going to ignore that second main discussion. We're going to ignore all that. We're going to page down several pages. Right. Do any of you guys want to cover Commander Plater's awesome news? Ah, uh, um, I, I don't even know it. I'm afraid. So, right. And like I said, I will. I will cover it. So, sorry, Kurgle. I'm currently dogfighting, which makes it hard to uh, look at the show notes. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Can we ask them to control your ship as well, then, Kurgle? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that'd be handy. So, yeah, Commander Plater was. Well, we we all know he's he's currently fighting thyroid cancer, um, and he's done a shitload of work raising awareness for it. And the British Thyroid Foundation has announced the Joe Pleater BTF Thyroid Cancer Research Award for 2020, and that's basically a twenty thousand award that can be used to supplement existing projects or help get new research ideas off the ground. And there's a link in the show notes about that. But that's amazing. It's awesome. I mean, he, that's incredible. Yeah, Plater has done so much, and he is. I, mean, uh, I don't want to jinx things. I really don't, because fuck you, cancer. But I want Plater to keep being alive, and not just because he's a lovely guy. The, the thing is, this is my, my to my view, is that there is a way to fight. An illness like cancer, and there's a way to not fight it. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? And Plato has attacked it in exactly the right yeah. way. Yeah. There's not, a, you know, there's no sense of defeatism in there. Or, you know, I'm sure everyone has their moments, mm. but just the example he set 
is a complete inspiration. And um, I think if anyone does find themselves in that unfortunate position, they could, you know, they they could do well to look at his example. Totally, totally agree. Uh, so, Commander Scorpius has been attempting to get as many SRVs as possible into an instance on Sunday night as they attempted the Buckingham race. Um, and I don't, th- I don't know, I don't remember doing a Buckingham race with Colin, but anyway, uh, added mind drops and fighter strafing and ship ramming. It was a bit like chopper sky surfing in Judge Dredd. Who wrote this? <laughs> Who the hell wrote this? Not me. Anyway, uh, Scorb managed to get 12 SRVs into the incident point, which is, he says is a new record, and it didn't seem later uh, possible for the latest patch. Have you guys seen the pilot's most recent video? No. Right. Uh, I'm just going to leave it as the pilots did a video on the third lance. It is like watching an episode of Knight Rider. It is amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> He's done a great video as ever. And, you know, frankly, I want to have his babies. Um, if we had time, I would say play it, but we don't, so I'm not. Um, there's also. Yeah, we, can we play it at the end of the show, maybe, uh, Norman? Would that be possible after Wotherspoon's things? No? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> don't worry, man. After the show, watch it. I was very quickly going to give a shout out to Prime Kai nineteen one hundred three, who has a album out, apparently called Stephen 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 Stephen. <laughs> oh, I love my Stephen! So I'm sure that will be available on iTunes very soon. I that just beggars belief. Uh, and how many drinks is is Stephen going for for that Stephen album? I don't know. I think I want to hear more lyrics, though, other than Stephen, 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 Stephen. Oh, I love my Stephen. I think there should be um, more lyrics. Instead of, uh... oh, does one need any more lyrics than Stephen? Yeah, but the I don't know. It doesn't really summon the essence of a Stephen, though, does it? <laughs> Maybe not. Anyway, we've also got uh, in the recent patch, in the January patch, a shed loads of changes have been made to mining that some might argue is a nerf, some might argue is unfair, some might argue is it's fixed, I stop complaining. There's the mining, the groups who do the mining have done a whole lot of research into it. Um, a very quick 10 second summary of it is the more you sell, the less you're going to get for it. There's a brilliant um, URL that explains everything. We'll hopefully cover it at some point when we have time, but not tonight. And we will definitely link it in the show notes. Could one of you guys link both that and the pilots thing and the Steven thing to the to Twitch channel as well, if that's possible, while I push on? I don't um, mission posting to our Twitch channel. <laughs> so, also, question to the listeners. Since the patch, Colin has noticed that he's getting 16 car- Thargoid kills to 1% of Deadly regardless if he has an NPC pilot or not, is that happening to anyone else? So it sounds like their crewman is no longer stealing his kills. Has anyone else noticed this? And it's well, on the back of the postcards. Unless, of course, he's meant to get um, more percent for less kills. Well, it used, uh, if you, it used to be if you had a crewman, then your crewman yeah, would go off and get some of your stuff. They're out of kills as a wingman, yeah. Yeah. And apparently that's not the case now because I know 
well, it used to it used to be you needed basically sixteen kills, got you one percent. I don't know. These these crewmen coming in here, stealing all our money, taking all our kills. Exactly. Well, apparently they're not taking our kills no more. I thought that was only after the thirty first. Okay. <laughs> um, think about it. Anyway, I'm not. I'm thinking about everything else at the moment, so I'm not thinking about that. Um, so how many Collins? How many Collins do we have to kill to get one percent of elite rank? Well, Collins not elite yet, so we'd have to, we wouldn't actually get any improve, rank improvements from killing him. So an infinite number of Collins, wouldn't it be? Well, it depends if you're elite in combat or not. Well, if I'm deadly in combat, I thought and I had Collins deadly. Then you get equal points, so okay, you get you get one point per Colin. Um. Uh, and if you are elite, you get half a point. Is it half a point per Colin? Yeah. And what happens if I'm uh, if I'm deadly? Colin's elite. Uh, you get I've forgotten that one and a half points per Colin. I think. Okay, so I guess we're getting one and a half points per Thargoid, but only one point per Colin. Someone else can do the maths. I don't care. I think I've that's Thargoid. Right. <laughs> I was about to make a joke about if you blow Colin up, does it release its heart? But I think that's probably in bad taste, so I won't say. <laughs> God. Yes, that is in bad taste. Right, I believe that's us. Have you guys got anything else you want to say? Nope. Right, right. I do have one announcement. So, can you, can you remember a song you mentioned recently, Shan? The Stephen, 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 the, the, the Stephen, Stephen, Stephen. So yeah, we, yeah. Lave Radio, might well be joining Stephen on the Thursday, the sixth of February. So things are locked in pencil, I guess, rather than set in stone. But yeah, things are looking pretty good that we'll be joining Frontier on their live stream on the sixth of February at seven PM. So we'll be working something out with those guys, and we're going to be playing with them and doing something. Uh, right, one thing that. I think, possibly, one thing that I do want to just just to manage expectations, we will not be being given any juicy, shiny information, and Frontier won't be telling us when 2020 is. So please, for the love of God, don't ask. And if you do ask, I'll make something up. <laughs> <laughs> what will well, 2020 be, Sean? <laughs> do you not? Do you not have a, a, a remote service as well, Shan? That you could maybe go off and do. Oh, what? Sorry, a removal service, shall we say? Uh, yes, the the Bank of Shan Bounty Removal Service. Yes, yes. Right. Well, in that case, then I'm going to wrap this up and thank you guys for joining me today. So, thanks to Ventura, to Kurgle, to Shan to Suv, to Craig and Andy from Game Glass. Thank you very much to everybody who's been joining us on Twitch. Um, no, we're not asking about Raxler, um, <laughs> and we're not asking if 2020 is part of a post-Brexit world. Uh, so, that's it for another episode of Lave Radio. If you want to get in touch with the show, then you can send us an email at info at laveradio.com. You can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lave Radio. You can tweet to us at Lave Radio. We're also on a Discord server at discord.io slash Lave Radio. We also also have a TeamSpeak server, and that is teamspeak.laveradio.com. 
please get in touch with us if you've got any questions or if there's anything else you want to talk with us in a future episode. Lave Radio is recorded live in front of a Twitch audience at 2030 GMT and streamed out on laveradio.com. I've already thanked you guys, so screw the rest of you. And I suppose a special thank you, though, to Norman, because he's got to edit this thing. So until next time, Commanders, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous. Twenty-first of January, thirty-three oh six. We read the news so you don't have to. In this week's news, new names for the witch's head. A nice cup of homeopathic tea. Making a hot mess to cure mods. New names for the witch's head. The time. Has come. On the 1st of January, the Committee for the Celebration of Thexit, the elimination of Thargoids from human occupied space, voted to rename 15 systems in the Witchhead sector in honour of the total defeat of the Thargoids, following six months without a single damaged station. The sector did unfortunately suffer from a minor flare-up of Thargoids on the 9th of January, but a prompt application of Preparation AXI seems to have sorted that, and the committee is keen not to let details get in the way of the celebrations. The new systems have been given appropriate names. Wellington is so-called because we gave the boot to the Thargoids. Onerous? reflects the heavy weight of responsibility of those responsible for driving out the Thargoids. Caister is named after a Roman fort full of soldiers who would have driven out the Thargoids if there'd been any. Haki 
is named after the New Zealand rugby team, and Suluo is named after the helmsman of the Starship Enterprise. Lembas is named after Elven Bread, and Ipison is named after the level of respect we have for the defeated Thargoids. Other new system names are Wisanye, Yuanjia, Shenvei, Evangelis, Balchower, Ronamar, and Jaralis. But the piece de resistance is HIP 23759, which has been renamed with the same name it already had, to represent the way humankind's resolve remains constant, no matter what. The Committee for the Celebration of Thexit will complete the celebration by ringing a bell to declare for everyone that can hear it that once and for all the Witch Head Sector has been declared free of Thargoids. Meanwhile, the Anti-Xeno Initiative has called for all available combat pilots to take their ships to the Witch Head Sector to combat the non-existent Thargoids. A nice cup of homeopathic tea. Commanders throughout the galaxy were confronted by a strange stuttering effect from their shipboard computers when they jumped into new systems last week. It appeared that something was overloading the guidance and reconnaissance systems, which were unable to keep up with the processing demand, meaning that commanders were faced with juddering displays on their flight consoles. Boffins at the Pilots' Federation were sent to find out what was causing this distressing condition. After significant analysis, the cause was finally identified. It turns out that someone had asked the Neutromatics drinks machine in the Pilots' Federation Frontier Canteen to make tea. Not the usual dusty powder in the bottom of a plastic beaker doused with tepid water, but proper tea. Tea made in a silver teapot on a summer lawn from camellia sinensis leaves dried in the equatorial sun and carefully preserved. Tea made from just drawn spring water freshly boiled to 98 degrees Celsius. Tea that can make everything right. But the person requesting this very special tea also requested that the tea should contain no tea, and that this tea should be homeopathic tea, instilled with the essence of tea without being tea. The Neutromatics drinks dispenser appears to have been baffled by this request, and to have enlisted the distributed processing power of the computers in the ships of all the Pilots' Federation members, wherever they were in the galaxy, using the oodles of power that peer-to-peer -peer networking delivers. And it was this beverage-inspired search for the essence of tea, or the CT program, that brought the computers of the galaxy to a shuddering halt. The Pilots' Federation is hunting in its ranks for the saboteur, whom it says is highly dangerous and likely to be clutching a mug of something that looks almost, but not entirely, unlike tea. Making a hot mess to cure mods. It is a truth universally acknowledged that everyone in the galaxy must be in want of a mug. 
This is not just because mugs are desirable, comforting and useful artefacts, but that they ward off the symptoms of the terrible disease Mug Ownership Deficiency Syndrome, or MODS. With reports of this disease spreading, the Hutton truckers are leading an initiative to deliver a prophylactic mug to every station in the galaxy that has a commodities market, and by thus vaccinating the human population to prevent an epidemic that might be every bit as terrible as the mycoid virus that decimated the Thargoid population in 3193. This is no minor undertaking. There are believed to be 53,326 stations, outposts and planetary bases in need of muggings, and mugs can only be obtained from the extremely remote outpost Hutton Orbital that orbits the planet of Eden, that orbits the star of Proxima Centauri, that in turn orbits the binary stars of Alpha Centauri A and B at a rather standoffish distance of 0.21 light-years. And yet, within six days of starting, the truckers and all their helpers have already delivered mugs to more than one-sixth of eligible stations. In another six weeks or so, every station will have a mug of its very own. You can track progress at hot.forthemug.com And the Hutton truckers? They do it for the mug. And that's this week's Galnet News. Galnet News, we read the news so you don't have to. According to uh, scientists, Uranus is full of methane gas. Oh, you get all sorts here. Smells like it too. Mirth, horrible stains, marigolds. Butch bath! There you go. Don Kedick. It says here. Next. My dear man. Cox. Like an obese child. No. Teabag. What? What have you had? It's the 34th century. What the fuck's that? Patient. Nadder. Sounds with Jesse, because it is Michelle. This is Beyond Dockers. Beyond Dockers, a mockumentary podcast available at bs-dockers.com. Also on iTunes. Night all.